Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Tuesday. It's August the 22nd. I don't know why my voice sounds like it's going somewhere. I woke up this morning and it just sounded a little gruffer. So bear with me on that. Um, I also injured myself going for a run yesterday when it was a thousand degrees outside in Texas. I was trying to get home faster. And for some reason, uh, that resulted in my soleus getting pulled on my right side. I always like knowing that my shoes are too old and that the padding is not working by, uh, my body letting me know with an injury. It's always a good way to start it off. Uh, that being said, we've got an interesting show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about 15 minute cities. We're going to be talking about, uh, mechanisms of control that are outside the United States. Always interesting to hear what the global elites want us doing and how they think we should be living. And uh, thank God they're out there telling us how to get it done since we can't figure it out on our own. The The World Economic Forum, kind of an interesting animal. It uh, it disguises some actual decent work in there uh, with uh, this sort of Bond villain level evil. So we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about more on the two-tiered system of justice in the United States. We've been talking about that quite a bit, the DOJ and the way that it operates, uh, obviously focused on the most important priorities of all Americans, making sure that trans students are accommodated in schools from a federal level. That seems like the thing that we're all worried about when we wake up in the morning. We think, oh, God, um, are the students that are confused what to do with their genitals, are they going to be are they going to be properly accommodated in this this oh so intolerant, intolerant and mean society? Will we take care of them properly? Uh, never mind teaching uh, reading, writing, arithmetic. Never mind teaching the uh, basic skills, learning how to balance a checkbook or learning what to do with your money. Uh, you're just going to be fine. You're going to own nothing and you're going to be satisfied because you'll have a scooter and maybe you can listen to your iPhone in your Bluetooth that they're monitoring your thoughts with. So that's fun. Uh, we're also going to talk about migrants getting moved around this country. I know my buddy Ryan Matta, who's sitting over there on the ones and twos, has been... Uh, Pretty aggressive at running down and trying to figure out what is happening with this migrant crisis on our border, some of the movement thereof. And the other question is, is where do you store all these people, which we continue to bring in so many of them in this country? We're going to talk a little bit about what happened in New York State. We had uh, our whistleblower discuss what happened in the New York City, but the upstate New York people are actually now feeling the wrath and the movement of these migrants. Um, and then I'll just tell you, COVID-19, round two. It is coming. I hope you have set your face like Flint. I, have, I hope you have set your feet very firmly on uh, the terra firma so you are ready to engage with whatever comes your way. It's still uh, You still have time. There's still enough time to go to our Twitter page, at Kyle Serafin. You can go and weigh in. I think we've had about 8,000 views on our survey. What do we call the people that are still wearing masks and still advocating for the masks, the so-called mask fascists? Right now, it's about 80 to 10 to 10, 80% are saying mask hole is the winner. Um, there's only about 10% or 11% of you that think that dumb ask is the right answer and about uh, nine or 10% of you with a free response. So over 800, I think over 700 votes rather. So go out there and and, and weigh in. We'll, we'll, we'll give you the results tomorrow. I think it's worth doing. Um, before we get too far afield here, I wanna say a uh, thanks to our buddy Garrett O'Boyle who has been out doing some wild work. Here we go. It's the Suspendables Collection. Do you know about the Suspendables collection? Do you know that you can get your very own Suspendables merch? You guys have been uh, agitating in the chat for the Suspendables merch. Here it is. Free the merch. Successful once again campaign here. You go to the-suspendables.com. It's just uh, spelled the way that it sounds. You can see it on the screen if you're watching. And a handful of these really interesting shirts. They get the PT shirt. Uh, he's got the uh, RU Suspendable, our hashtag, the letter R, the letter U, Suspendable. It's a question you should ask yourself every day. And then the Zelensky special, just in case you happen to be going in front of Congress or maybe even your city council, you're going to a small venue where you are going to be asking people for money that you have no business getting. You can wear the Suspendables Z special, which is an OD green shirt with a Suspendables badge right there around the neckline, just letting them know exactly what you're about because you're really a warrior, even though you're a weird homosexual actor from a third world corrupt regime. You can ask for money too, just like... Zelensky, good stuff, and make whistleblowers great again. So the Suspendables merch, there it is. Let's get started, and we'll, we'll come to some uh, other sponsors a little bit later on in the show. So ladies and gentlemen, let's kick it off right now. We're going to be talking about C40, the C40 experience, the 40 cities in the United, or in the, the world, rather, of which there are some American cities, I think there's 14 in the U.S., that want you to own next to nothing 
and they want you to be happy about it. Ryan, if you would pull up our topic number one, the C40 cities, we're going to get into it. This is a global network of mayors. This is who we really want leading things. A couple of mayors elected in big cities that are going to get together and they are unifying in their action to confront the climate crisis. And what are those cities? There are cities like Buenos Aires, like Jakarta, like London, like Shanghai, like Tel Aviv, Johannesburg, and so on. But there are also American cities in there. And what is their goal? Their goal is to tell you that uh, these 40 cities are going to try to reduce the global carbon emissions by a significant percentage because they constitute more than 20% of the global economy. They all live in the same place. Even though cities are probably the most efficient way to stack human beings, they can go ahead and uh, try to get people out of it. So let's let's dig into what this website is. You can visit their website if you want to explore what they're all about, although I don't always recommend it. You can go to the letter C, the number 40.org. C40.org will tell you about what they're into. This is a World Economic Forum project that is trying to get you green jobs, driving driving equity, that's always good, sustainability, and the secure employment opportunities for these cities where people can thrive. Their hashtag is green jobs now. That sounds like nothing could go wrong. They're trying to transition things from oil fields to wind farms so they can kill off all the eagles, uh, maybe kill off some of the whales if you're paying attention to what's been going on in some of these areas. And uh, let's let's just dig into what it is that they say is the issue. So they're talking about the future of urban consumption in a world that is 1.5 degrees centigrade higher. They have an entire report. It's 68 pages. I perused through it today to try to get you the highlights so you don't have to do the same sort of thing. It was assembled by a group called Arup and also the University of Leeds, which I believe is a British university, and they are talking about the impact of urban consumption. As I, get, as I said, the, probably the most efficient way to live is when you stack human beings on top of, top of other human beings. So when you start putting people into apartment buildings, this is the most efficient way to stack humans. They have the least amount of distance they have to travel to get their things, but there's also too many humans per the World Economic Forum. And so how do we make them lesser? We just reduce the number of things that they have. Again, they want you to own nothing and be happy about it. So they've got some main takeaways here in the executive summary. New ways that you can measure your climate footprint. The real key to every single government grift is that there has to be a metric. They have to be able to measure it. And then on top of that, they have to be able to reduce that metric. Whether or not it makes sense is sort of irrelevant. The FBI has been really good about doing this about their crime stats. They just want to show you that they're doing something, so they have to measure it. And the C40 cities. These are the cities. There's actually 96 of them now. They started off with 40. That was their goal. And they actually doubled their goal. So that is a 200 plus percent increase in cities that have pledged to do this illogical thing. And the C40 cities are representing 10% of the global, uh, what is this, uh, emissions. They call it GHG emissions, accounting for carbon-based uh, consumption and emissions. And they are trying to make sure that you will actually see this reduced, not just by 2030, but they're actually trying to get down to a 2050 goal where they're going to reduce it by 87%. So that's lovely. And the numbers that I saw are actually pretty staggering. There was numbers of carbon emissions that they were trying to drop. Uh, they wanted us to go from like a 15.6 metric ton per person or something to that effect. They wanted to drop to 0 0.7. So if you just consider what it would take for you to change your life by 20, 20x, that's what they're trying to talk about. Your consumption levels, driving, traveling, uh, purchasing different equipment. You They want you to drop that down. And that is so that we can avoid, here we go, climate pregans, the global climate breakdown. The global climate breakdown. Because that's obviously coming when you believe in the Gaia principle, when you believe in an earth that we are subservient to, even though we are supposed to be masters of our domain, even though we are supposed to be stewards of it, uh, they want us to reduce it. I'm going to bring up a couple of these other fun little takeaways here. It says, while uh, C40 cities have a strong action plan in place to significantly cut emissions produced directly within their geographic boundaries, emissions measured by what is consumed within those cities are rising. And if they are left unchecked, they will double by 2050, which is why they have to do things. So what does the science say? What does it tell us? The fun thing is when you read this uh, this this particular scientific document or pseudo-scientific document, it looks like a marketing brochure. It's really nicely laid out. There's lots of different colors and variations on it. And the fun thing for me was they actually have what they call the cone of uncertainty. Whenever you do projections into the future, there's a cone of uncertainty of like how good your projections can be. And so they show this is the line if it left unchecked to 2050. And what's really fun for me is 
it is a, a growth line that tops out and seems to be reducing on its own, just based on the way the numbers are working right now. And the reason is, is all of our efficient technologies, because businesses are incentivized to do things in a way that is both sustainable and is efficient, we actually have a market incentive to make the globe cleaner, to be able to reduce certain emissions if that is going to be favorable. There's a certain government programs that are involved in this. So it actually shows a growing line until about 2035. Then it flatlines out and it actually dips slightly. So by 2045 to 2050, we're seeing a, a gentle global decline in emissions, even by the WEFs, even by the C40 organizations own projections. And then when you look at their cone of uncertainty, what they show is that it might reduce based on their ideas, but it also may actually go up from that projected line that they've already shown with no, um, with no touching it, without any specific uh, mitigation strategies. It might actually increase by like 30%. So, so they might have a, an impact of a 40% reduction, but they might have an impact of 30% increase by dicking around with these these things. There's nothing funnier to me than when they just have to go like, eh, it's science and that means it's uncertain. Of course it's uncertain. This is the nature of it. They're playing around with a single variable, this idea of carbon emissions, and they don't actually know what it is. If you want a good example of this, look at any time that the uh, Americans have gone in and meddled with foreign conflicts where we don't understand all the variables at play. We put the CIA in and you want to get rid of somebody from some uh, regime that's not favorable to us. And then suddenly you end up with like, I don't know, the Taliban or you end up with um, Saddam Hussein running Iraq. It's it's like, oh, we understood one variable. We didn't like it. We started tweaking it a little bit. And the result was something that made no sense. It was actually the opposite of what we were hoping to do. So we actually screwed up our model. I mean, science is about trial and error. When you're trying to do trial and error by literally billions of people and the way that they live, and the possibility is, is you don't achieve the goal that you were doing, which was of marginal, um, you know, material value to the people in the world anyway. I don't know. You've added an awful lot of money, but this is clearly a good path for a bunch of scientists that uh, that feel emotional about the globe. Like I said, the climate pagans, as my buddy uh, George Hill likes to call them. So what are they trying to do? It says 27 C40 cities have already peaked in terms of production-based emissions. They've already peaked. In other words, they are on the decline right now, doing nothing special, except doing the things that the market is asking for. It says consumption-based emissions account for the total climate the total climate impact accumulated around the world of goods and services allocated to places where the end product is used or consumed. There are 68 pages of this jargon, by the way. So let's go, let's follow their example here. Take a pair of jeans, for example. The climate impact includes the GHG emissions that have resulted from growing and harvesting the cotton used for the fabric, the CO2 emitted by the factory where it was stitched together, the emissions from ships, trucks, planes that are transporting it to the store, its impact also includes emissions from heating, cooling, lighting the store where the jeans were bought in, and the CO2 emissions by the end consumer washing it and drying it over its lifetime. Well, why stop there? Why not just include the CO2 emissions from the motorcycle that the guy was wearing it for because these jeans looked really cool and he was being sold a motorcycle, or even the production of the scooter that he was riding around in and needed to wear jeans because he didn't want to scrape up his leg while doing 13 miles an hour on a sidewalk that he rented with his little swipe card there. We could do all this stuff. I mean, if you want to go and do minute analysis down to this microcosm that makes no sense, you can do that all day long. It's it's out there. It's available for you. But this sort of um, granularity doesn't take into impact any sort of realistic things because now you've basically trice, traced a pair of genes, but you haven't factored in any of the offset. The fact that the genes are more durable and they're uh, you know not using petroleum products because they were using cotton. You know they, All these things, there's always a cost to it. But if you just get really minute and you focus on one single thing, which is to say you're going to declare that we're all bad, because of carbon, which uh, I was listening to a comedian the other day. He said, you know, the, the whole thing about carbon dioxide being an issue. Carbon dioxide is air for plants. These are the same people that are trying to tell us that there's a really big, uh, important and necessary piece of uh, the rainforest. You remember, these are the same people that were doing the fern gully in the 90s. And they were telling us how bad we were for cutting down trees and forests. And yet they want everybody to live in these cities, which, of course, mean that they have to flatten out areas and get rid of certain things. It, there's no there's no coherency in this leftist mindset. They don't require a religion that actually agrees with itself. What they require is obedience. And that's what you're getting more and more of this stuff. Look at a couple other things here. By 2030, the average per capita impact of urban consumption in the C40 cities must, 
it must decrease by 50%. Just listen to that one more time. First of all, they are decreeing that the biggest cities in the world decrease their consumption by 50%. If you think that's going to fly in American cities, uh, I will be shocked to find that out. But they have this idea that they are going to push this forward. And we actually have a video for you. I went out there and dug into it. Oh, amusingly, this was an unlisted YouTube. If you had the link, you could get it. But it's listed not in a way that was easily available to find. I think it had like 15 or 20 views. So you probably haven't seen this. If you'll pull up video uh, topic number three, Ryan, this is a piece that was initially billed as San Francisco's 15 minutes. They're obviously one of the, the C40 cities. But um this is just kind of their little take on the way that they see it. And you'll notice it's all big sweeping plans. It's beautiful drone footage. What did it cost to put that up in the air and transport that and move it across international lines and ship it and all this stuff? <laughs> they never have any consistency in their values. But here's San Francisco, 15-minute cities, video clip number three, if you would. play that without any of the sound in the background. We're going to talk over some of these visuals because the stuff that they're doing is, is gotcha. really funny. If we'll, uh, folks, I'm going to, I'm going to comment on this. If you watched on our uh, rumble channel, you obviously just saw some beautiful uh, drone footage and a bunch of sort of time-lapse video and things like this. But what's really fun about this, and you'll notice uplink is the name of their, uh, their YouTube channel that you can't find They're They're showing a picture right now of, uh, of, of roads that have existed in San Francisco for 50 years, the famous Lombard Street, if my memory serves, it's the, the twistiest road in the world. And they're talking about things uh, without comparing apples to apples. This is uh, one of the fun pieces when you start playing around with data. So they're talking about they must deliver sustainable urban development in this particular thing while they're increasing quality of life and economic opportunities. They go and they, and they dig into this little piece where they say that there are um, – 70% of the world's population or 70% of the emissions are coming out of cities, but they only constitute 3% of the land area. And so that's one of my favorite little ways when you sort of move the needle. You think, oh my God, only 3% of the land area is where 70% of human emissions come from. The percentage of people that live near a coastline is also incredibly high if you look across the entire world. Why is that? Because there's abilities to ship. Once you st start getting inland, you start moving towards deserts. You start moving into more inhospitable terrain. It's much more um, uh, topographically challenged. You have uh, mountains and things like this. So if you look at where the light structure is, even if you were to zoom back out on Earth and take a look at where people live, they all live near the coastlines, of course. This is the easiest way for people to get around. The interior of most countries are much closer to dark if they are not completely dark in certain areas. And the second thing is, is that people who concentrate in cities concentrate, they are the biggest concentration of human beings. So of course they, they are the biggest amount of consumption and producing of carbon emissions. Of course it makes sense. That's where the biggest concentration of human beings live. So they, they compare land mass to this, uh, to population in a way that is completely nonsensical. Um, but this is, you know, it's scary. If you don't understand anything, if you're one of these people that we would say is the, um, what do we, Dan Bongino calls them the stupid smart people. You're like, Oh, I can, I can compare numbers and 7% and 70%. How scary. What an awful thing. We need to reduce those numbers. You know, 3% of people living in one place should equal, uh, seven, you know, 3% of consumption. That's not it. 
they're not comparing where the populations are, population density, and so on. So these are just people who are trying to get you to do something with scary numbers, and they're hoping through bad education that the tax on math is, is that you don't know how to do things. They always talk about the lottery. If anybody's ever gone out and bought a lottery ticket and then you go home and you have that fear of missing out because there's a, you know, a hundred million dollar lotto jackpot. There's a $900 million Super Bowl or Super Bowl jackpot or whatever they're called. And you go, if I don't buy this ticket, I can't win that. In fact, that used to be the slogan when I was a kid, you got to play to win. Right. But it's also a tax on people that can't do math. If you look at any mathematics professor, none of them will ever spend any money on a lottery. And they're doing the same exact thing. They're like, well, you have this fear. It's an emotionally triggering number, but it has nothing to do with the reality of it. The odds of you winning the lottery are like lower than you being hit by lightning. So does it really matter if you play, if you're never going to be able to win statistically? Does somebody win? Of course they do. Does somebody die from getting hit by lightning in the United States every year? Yeah, a couple of people do. Is it something you walk around and fear? Not if you're a logical thinking person. Not if you've ever lived around other people and you can just think, hey, uh, I don't even know anybody that's ever been struck by lighting. Now everyone's going to sound off in the chat that you know somebody who has. I understand. That being said, these, these things are all attacks on people that are not educated, that have an emotional response. They have an idea of what these numbers mean, but they've never dug into it. And of course, the idea that they villainize carbon dioxide, which we are not even close to the highest carbon dioxide levels that this planet has ever seen. Uh, it's, it's, it's totally bizarre. And this has been debunked in uh, testimony in front of Congress and farmers and so on. Like it's a requirement for us to be able to do a lot of the growing that we have. In fact, they are lower than they could be. And if you drop the carbon dioxide lowers levels low enough, you'll actually kill off all uh, plant life, which means you result in the, uh, the death of almost all animal life as well. So that's fun. But here's the really weird thing about the world economic forum. They're, they're kind of an interesting pill. And if we'll pull up uh, topic number two, Ryan, if you can pull up topic number two, there is a, a, a whole bunch of interesting things that are not really awful that are in their website. And this is why we have to have a nuanced perspective on things. There's an article in there how they're using nonprofits with 3D printing capabilities to give refugees hearing aids. Um, the picture that is shown on there, I don't know if you have the ability to even show like a little bit lower on the screen, Ryan, but they're, they're showing these 3D printed. Give me custom, one second. I got it. Yeah. Custom hearing aids which is not a terrible thing to be spending money on. There's rapidly advancing technology. So these people are spending, there you go. So that's kind of a cool little graphic here, but this is a nonprofit that is funded by WEF. It's working in Jordan for people who have been refugees of uh, conflict zones and they're giving children specifically, which we can all get behind the idea that kids being able to hear would be good. They're giving children um, hearing aids. This is not a terrible thing and they're using new technologies. So the idea of using technology to better humankind, that's always been the way, but they're trying to sneak in the carbon piece. They're trying to sneak in the control rather than bring the third world or the developing world up, which is what you would hope. And then everybody would eventually have like this tailing off of a, you know, whatever consumption of, of raw goods. What they're trying to do is bring everybody down. In the meantime, they're trying to tug on your emotions by talking about the technological landscape and the innovations that are going on. The only reason why people have the ability to create a nonprofit, and this particular one is called 3DP4ME. So 3DP4ME. Um, the idea is, is that you have people who have leisure time, who have technological um, educations. They've been able to go out there and meet all their basic needs. They're not waiting to be killed off by animals. They're not waiting to die because of the way that the, uh, the world exists outside of their home. And they can sit and think about really interesting capabilities of our current technologies and advancing technologies in order to help people who have very little. And I would say refugee children are probably at the bottom of the pile of people who have very little. So using this sort of stuff um, as sort of the Trojan horse to say, look, don't you think we're good? Uh, they're trying to skew the way that you look at places like World Economic Forum. Like I said, the Bond villains don't always, they're not pure evil. That's the most fun thing about the way that those movies were always written. They're not pure evil, even though they have a diabolical plan. They're offering something that is not awful and the end goal is awful. I think that's what really, really bad evil looks like in this world. It looks like taking something that is a, that is a potential great upgrade to humanity and then twisting it for awful purpose. Imagine uh, nuclear power being one of those things, right? The ability to have power that is clean and doesn't generate a bunch of pollution and do so forever, but it also gives you the capabilities of obliterating entire cities through nuclear weapons, right? It's the it's the the two two sides of that coin. More things 
more things than not live in that space. If we bring up topic number two, they have another really interesting, or sorry, topic number three. It's another little interesting piece of what's going on at WEF. They're talking about uh, antimicrobial resistance, the ways that our antibiotics are getting less and less effective. This is a real problem. This is a real worthwhile discussion to be having. These are all done in this year. So we're talking about um, the ability of, of our... Um, of our population to not be able to use these life enhancing drugs. One of the reasons that they speculate that life expectancy has gone up so dramatically from the civil war on, if you guys remember, we showed a graph the other day, it was like 35 to 40 years old in the 1850s. And it has gone up to the point where our life expectancy in the United States specifically is like around 80 years old. It's 79 and change. That's a dramatic increase. And one of them is that basic infections will not and do not kill you off. You don't get a skin infection and fail to thrive. You don't get a skin infection and literally just fall over dead because you had a scratch that you didn't take care of. And this is a thing that exists in other places. It, like outside the United States, this is a real problem. The idea that basic infection could take you out. I'm going to give you a small example. We had a friend of uh, my father's. He's an author. He's a, a Catholic apologist, really interesting guy. And he also does these books on hiking. So I don't know how that works out, but he writes religious apologies, which is to say defenses of Christianity. But then he also writes these like hiking tour guide books. And of course, his name escapes me right now. I know his first name is Carl. And Carl was uh, coming in talking about going on a Grand Canyon hiking trip. And so he goes down this goat trail or this uh, donkey trail, which was really rough. And he basically looked at it all on the map and said, okay, this is the trail I'm going to do. It's going to three or four day hike down to the bottom of the, of the Grand Canyon and back up to the top of the rim. And people do this every day. This is a pretty common thing. There's a whole season of times when people go and hike the Grand Canyon. Now, in Carl's case, he said he, he slipped on some loose rock and the guy is, I don't know, maybe in his late 60s or maybe he's in his early 70s. He's somewhere in that range. So he's not a young guy, but he's fit and he's virile. He looks he's built very wiry and he looks like a hiker like you'd expect. And so this guy goes out and does this hike. And about two days into it, he has a slide, scratches up his leg pretty decently. It's like, you know, not a deep cut, but it's a, a superficial cut that allows things in through the barrier of his epidermis. And he doesn't have all kinds of bandaging equipment. He doesn't have like you know, bacitracin and this kind of deal. So he just kind of cleans it off with what he's got. It's got some dirt. It's got some things in there. And he's in a place that he's not familiar with. Whatever the microbiome is in the Grand Canyon is not similar to where he lives outside of San Diego. I think he lives outside of San Diego. So he ends up getting an infection over the two or three days coming back up. And it gets to a really bad place where he's got, you know, a swollen leg and he's unable to put weight on it. And this is the potential of a life-threatening infection simply because he didn't have access to stuff that we would think is really easy but a hundred years ago did not exist. In the 1920s, they didn't have easy access to some of these things. And the problem is when you start killing off some of these micro uh, microorganisms that they adapt just the way that we have. And so the WEF is literally talking about that. They are really getting into the nitty gritty of how do we deal with this? This is not a terrible thing to address, especially for a first world nation, but they do so at the cost of shaming you and telling you that you have to live with nothing, that you need to own only three articles of clothing that's the big piece that came out here. Three articles of clothing per year can be permitted for everybody living in the C40 cities that have agreed to this. So I don't know how that's going to work for businesses. You got to tell me what business is signing on to say, yes, we are voluntarily limiting our transactions to three articles of clothing per person. There will be now only uh, 700 miles of round trip travel every three years. That's one 700 mile round trip that we're going to tolerate and that you are going to um, essentially not be able to go any further than they want to remove 60,000 parking spots in, in Paris right now in order to free up room for bicycles. So, you know, if you want to step back in time and go to bicycle powered, uh, life, if you want to go into a non automobile powered life, I guess that's an opportunity, but in many ways that is not a particularly American take on things. There's a video that we put up number five, Ryan, if you'll pull number five, this is kind of why I think there's going to be resistance to this. There, Even the, the lefties sort of inherently know. We'll play uh, the first uh, probably about, what is it, a minute or two of this video. This is about the uh, cars in America and why I think they're so fundamental. Actually, when I was in high school, I wrote a book about this. I was with uh, my class. We wrote a book on the American love affair with the automobile. And it's not because of the automobile itself, and it's not because we just love internal combustion engines, although some of you do, and you're motorheads, and I get that. I've lived with motorheads. I know that that's a whole culture, a subculture. But there's something about freedom and the automobile that go hand in hand with the American experience. So if you'll play a video clip, what is it, number five, let's take a look at that and see what we got. 
And why use the Daguerre camera? To show that any picture of America without automobiles is hopelessly out of date. Today, the automobile is part of any American scene. Every man, woman, and child in America could go riding at the same time. And if we wanted to, we could all ride in the front seat. Because there is a car or a truck for every three persons, almost 50 million motor vehicles. How many are 50 million cars? Bumper to bumper, they would stretch around the Earth at the equator seven times. The distance we drive our cars and trucks every day would take us on five daily round trips to the sun. <laughs> but the real importance of the motor car is in the way it has opened up new horizons in our way of living. And that brings up a very interesting fact about one out of every seven American workers. Let's see what it is about that one worker out of seven. Bear with one, me on this, folks. This is funny. Two, three, four... Five, six, seven. Sir, what do you do for a living? You've heard of tea testers, haven't you? Well, I'm a toot tester. Yes, this man is a toot tester. He listens to automobile horns in a factory to be sure they are tuned to the proper musical tone. If anybody should ever ask you what the proper musical tone is, it's E-flat combined with... G. <laughs> okay, that's good right there. <laughs> I don't know why I really like that. I found that this morning, and I was like, what is the proper musical tone for a car horn? Is that really a thing? And then when you listen to it, that is the proper musical tone for a car horn. It's just right. It's E flat and G. So there you go. There actually is that. And if you listen to the hopeful tone, and I think that's really the piece that, that really catches me, the hopeful tone that goes on in that video. It tells you they're not ashamed of building automobiles. They're not ashamed of the, the fact that if you were to take all the automobiles, it would wrap around the equator seven times, or the fact that all of our daily trips are six or eight times back and forth to the uh, to the sun, you know, like the, the amount of miles being driven. This is going back into the 1960s. So this is not modern by any level. I'm sure it is significantly more than that. And some of those are Priuses. So some of you have to carry a purse when you have your cars. But that being said, we have this hopeful tone about American ingenuity, the freedom that it allows, and the fact that it has created jobs and all these other kind of cool things. This is American experience at its finest. Americana, in a big way, was about an ever-increasing wrap of freedom, not about how we can tone down your ability to harm the earth and how you can tone down your consumption so that we can tie you up in a 15-minute city. The idea, if you're not familiar with the concept of the 15-minute city, which is being alluded to here over and over again, is essentially that there is a 15-minute zone of travel that you are permitted to live within, and all the things that you need will stay there, and you can just be a good little surf and stay in that sort of bubble of 15 minutes in all directions around you. Now, the problem with that specifically is that you're talking about taking people from this expansive ability to travel from sea to shining sea, the manifest destiny that has always been kind of the classic American uh, you know, driver of ingenuity and of capabilities and people building rocket cars and wanting to go to the moon and all these other sort of spirits that are about freedom and about expansion. And you are trying to draw a artificial little bubble around it, tighten it down and say, what you've done is essentially bad. We are going to take that away. Rather than raising up the developing world to the level of freedom that Americans are living in. We're talking about, can we reduce American freedom to the level of basically a primitive village, a 15 minute bubble that involves bicycles and a uh, little swipe card, electric scooters that they can turn off remotely anytime they want. And some of you guys are using those things. And, you know, I've seen people go to the airport. I was in Spokane, Washington. I watched a guy like travel on the highway, one of those silly little scooters. He was doing, you know, 18 miles an hour with a backpack going to go fly off somewhere. Some hippie kid. That's fine. You want to be a hippie kid and do that. But I've got kids. I'm not trying to put a bunch of kids on a scooter like we're living in Thailand and do a rickshaw tr you know, trip and see how many people we can fit on some small moped. This is a country that doesn't need to do that. We don't need to do that. What we need to do is allow human ingenuity to be unleashed and move forward. And so we can continue to have more freedom, more uh, experience of higher levels of, of life on the planet for everybody, if that's what we do. That's what America has been really good at is exporting freedom. And the capitalist sort of uh, machine that has been unleashed has brought more capabilities like 3D printed 
hearing aids to places that have never been there before because all of our basic needs are met and people have the leisure and the ability and the mental capacity to look beyond their basic subsistence level piece and say, what is there out there in the cosmos, in the, you know, the experience of humanity that I can bring up rather than how do I limit myself and go downward? And that is essentially what these things are about. And why would anybody want to go downward? It doesn't seem like the Bill Gateses of the world are giving up their private planes. It doesn't seem like the John Kerry's, the plastic-faced uh, guy who looks like he should have been a... John Kerry's face looks like it should have been one of the masks from Point Break. I don't know if anybody else sees that. But it, it's, it's one of these ideas that it's like, why in the world would you listen to somebody who doesn't take their own advice? There's no other place where you would do that. And the fact that some of the leftists are willing to take... Their, you know, their betters advice. That's a fundamentally un-American idea too. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants you to limit what we're up to or what we're doing. Um, I want to show. It's like going to the doctor. Uh, it's like going to a doctor that's overweight and unhealthy, and them giving you health advice. How frequent is that, though, people? I mean, think about that. Think about going into an ER. The number of ER nurses that I've met that are overweight because of the life that they're living that is not healthy, and they're out there trying to bring you back. It's the saddest thing you could ever see. And if you actually look at a lot of the ER doctors will be really, really fit. They have a pretty good balance of like going out there and making sure they work out and take care of themselves because nobody wants to see a waddling doctor coming up and telling you like, you got to watch your cholesterol. I'm like, dude, I could bench press you and you're huge. So I don't want to hear that. It, you're exactly right. Why do you think there's so many, why do you think there's so many overweight nurses? I feel like that's like the number one overweight profession. Every nurse I meet is overweight. It's because they're, well, it's, it's two terms. It starts off. They're young and they're fit and they're doing their, their job. And then they basically spend too much time at the job. This is something I saw all the time. Break rooms are filled with garbage food. Easily consumable processed foods are the number one thing that are being eaten. Like people are doing microwavable, you know, noodles or they're they're doing, you know, ho-hos and cupcakes or donuts or whatever other crap food is out there. So it's high sugar. It's high demand because they're burning through calories by being on their feet all day. And so they just grab whatever's nearest and they get back to work. It comes from a pretty natural place. If you sat down and had nurses like required to take one hour breaks where they could sit and eat like food that they made themselves, it'd be a different animal. But most of them are working 12 hour shifts. So they're home for a couple hours. They're slamming together whatever they have into a lunchbox that's, you know, in a package or they're buying something out of a vending machine in our cafeteria. And none of that stuff is particularly good. Our hospitals have some of the worst foods in the world. If the WF really cared about like making things better, they'd be working on making cafeteria food better and more natural instead of more processed. But that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about basically hiding this, this Trojan horse. The, the outside of it looks really good. It's uh, 3D printed earpieces and it's helping people deal with uh, you know antibiotic infections and so on and how they're going to go and move medicine forward. And on the inside of that, the little nugget that they're trying to get you is slavery to an idea that is essentially climate paganism. It is worship of the planet without an understanding. Nowhere in here do I see anything about uh, how we could increase the capabilities of moving the message of faith or how people's moral actions could be better. They don't talk about any of this stuff. It's all about curtailing your behavior and your consumption. Like, I think ultimately the idea of materialism doesn't really match with a lot of people's idea of what's good. You're just going to show us weird foods. There's your cafeteria foods. It's actually almost always high sugar. Think about how they give things like Jello and other like really quick processed sugary foods. They'll give them even to people who are cancer patients. It's one of the things that drives my buddies who are health nuts and, and nutrition types. It drives them absolutely insane when they go into a hospital and see a sick person. And they are basically feeding the disease by the food that is available to them, which is really sad stuff. Um, I want to kind of pivot over. I'm going to show this is a, how the mainstream media covers our type of uh, you know take on this. There's a whole video about this. This is a British television. They wanted to let us know that what I'm telling you right now is, of course, a conspiracy theory. If you'll queue up video number four, we can run that right now. Holmes. The reality here in Oxford is distinctly different. The conspiracy has conflated two plans, one long-term intention to spread facilities among neighbourhoods and one traffic restriction trial due to be brought in next year, which will use cameras and a permit system to track car journeys among certain roads across the city and potentially fine people if they use them too often. There are, of course, legitimate questions as to how these schemes are implemented. This is a traffic filter and there will be six more of these rolled out around the city. Businesses, for example, reliant on drive-through trade. It's very much a message to visitors uh, and shoppers, um, you know, people visiting our hotels and restaurants, um, 
you know, that Oxford is not accessible and you, you have to stay out of Oxford. Oxford has included multiple exemptions from the scheme, including for businesses, carers and blue badge holders. Visitors will, of course, be able to travel by other means, including public transport, or drive around the ring road to avoid the filters. All right, that's good right there. Criticism has also so, been leveled at the way the proposals have been communicated. So if you guys saw, they were talking about what they call traffic filters. That looks suspiciously like surveillance tools to me. That looks like what it looks like in Beijing, by the way. They have cameras everywhere, pointed in all directions, observing all the things, drivers, license plates, all the deals. And of course, there's always exceptions if you can afford it. If you're a business, they're going to give you an exemption. Isn't that the whole point of what they're trying to cut down? They're trying to cut down... They're going to cut down the customers, but not the actual business. So they're, they're, they're paying some homage to the people that are actually paying all the taxes, but they're not going to let the customers come in unless they come in on buses and they come in in a way that's regulated. That's really interesting. So if you notice, this woman is a science correspondent. She's not an expert on anything, but she's going to just basically say, there are some concerns, but we're going to just kind of brush over them and we're going to act like they're not a big deal. And the woman who was actually voicing those concerns was a representative of the businesses in Oxford. This is not Oxford being one of the cities that is looking at this sort of uh, this growth rate, the C40 dot org uh, plan. So, you know, w what they're trying to do, and then the other one was blue badge holders. Did you notice that too? They slipped it in their blue badge holders and then they go on. And when, you can always avoid the area until you can't, until the area gets so big that there's no choice, that you're stuck. Basically, if you want to go places, you're going to have to go and play by their rules. And that's always the way this stuff works. The blue badge holders piece was my favorite because that means you can basically buy your way out of this. If you have enough money, you can create the virtue. And this is something the United States has made fun of, at least since the, like the late 60s. There's these uh, these billboards that used to be put up. I saw it in an art appreciation class when I was a teenager. And it said, like, money creates taste. You know, it's the idea that if you have enough wealth, you can dictate what is the proper morality. The idea that if you have enough to spend, then you can offset your badness with your goodness. And that is the fundamental. I mean, this is going back to the romance era. This goes back a long, long ways. This talks about how there is this sort of like white man's burden. If you guys have ever heard that term, this goes like this is long going back to the European requirement for them to go and civilize parts of Africa and other parts of the developing world. The idea was is that they are given so much that they have this noblesse oblige. They must go and help these people that don't know any better. And they can do it with a blue badge. In this case, they can, it's the same concept that's been around for hundreds of years. They're going to offset the evil of them driving around in their, in their Lamborghini with a blue badge, which means they've paid enough to justify that privilege. And of course, people who have that privilege, they can afford to have that privilege. That's why. Uh, it's just really interesting. I'm going to bring up, uh, we've got it on here, green aircraft. So topic number five, this is actually another piece coming out of WEF. Uh, topic number five was, <laughs> it's, it's like, if you go and you find all the little pills that they put in here, it's the poison pill that's built in, surrounded by it. It says, what is sustainability in aircraft aviation fuel? And why are only 0.1% of flights powered by it? And the answer is essentially, it's not particularly effective. It costs more to make. And so they're going to basically uh, not use something that the market doesn't justify. When you try to push a technology that is not available for consumption, there was actually a Ford guy. I didn't bring up the article, but there was a guy who was a developer for Ford. He was a, either a high-level marketing exec or maybe he was an engineering dude. He comes forward and he was like, oh, I tried to take this road trip in our new Ford Lightning um, EV, the electric vehicle, and sitting around and charging the thing forever. It, it wasn't particularly effective. Ryan, were you the one telling me that somebody had to sit for like 45 minutes trying to charge up their their vehicle when they were trying to move on this little road trip? Was that a conversation you and I yeah, had? It was the, yeah, it was the electric Hummer. And the guy was sitting at like, he was trying to get off a turnpike or whatever, and it ran out. One of the guys had a, he had a generator in the back of his truck. So he was stopped at the turnpike. Like, you know, he get off the expressway and he must like ran out of power. So he had the electric generator in the back of his truck bed pulled over on the side of the road, charging his car with a gas powered generator. Right. And then another guy was the, with the Hummer. I forget. He drove like 300 miles and he was sitting for 45 minutes. He had charged his car halfway and he had spent like $76 or something crazy. So it's more than it would have spent to fill up a take of gas. And he had to sit there for 45 minutes and he only had half a charge. It's, it's the fundamental idea that you're going to basically try to force innovation faster than it has been demanded by the market. And then the science is actually justifying, you know, there's a lot of pollution that happens by building the batteries that go in the EV. There's, it's not sustainable or reasonable for most people. And even when the early Priuses were coming out, they were talking about these things. Folks, you may remember this, but one of the things that was really amusing about the Prius is it was like, oh, it's going to change our lives. It's this like hybrid electric thing and it's full of batteries in the back and it's going to, you know, revolutionize the way that we use fuel and everything else. Well, most cars that are that are hybrids, these and or the fully electric vehicles have something like a 90,000 or a 95,000 mile lifespan. 
And that's way lower than most American vehicles. In fact, I was doing some research the other day on diesels because Ryan and I were talking about whether it made sense to go and buy an older diesel that they couldn't short circuit and and cut out with hacking. And one of the reasons why you would do that is because the diesel engine runs between 400,000 and a million miles just the way it's designed. You pay a little bit more up front, but then it lasts forever and you don't have to actually go and uh, replace your vehicle. Gasoline powered vehicles in America go anywhere from like 150,000 to 250,000 miles. And people get more out of them with good maintenance, but that's kind of like the, the average spot. But the EV basically tops that. out. It tops out at 90,000. Like by the time it's ready to offset its carbon footprint from making the battery and deal, you know, mining the cobalt and all the other ugly processes that have to happen to create that vehicle, you're tossing in the trash heap. It's going to get scrapped and you're going to have to go buy another vehicle. So it actually is, it's just, it's a facade. It's made up. It's, it's this poison. Hey, go ahead. I found this video. Can I play it real quick? It's yeah. only 40 seconds. Yeah, do it. This is why you it's don't buy anything. The Hummer's the problem. The charge station's the problem. I have no idea. Fairly easy. We just increased our range to 98 miles after waiting around for 45 minutes. But the real question, how much did it cost? I am actually in shock right now. Listen. We just sat here for 41 minutes. It cost me $19.80, and we added an additional 64 miles for $20. It Who's is up for expensive that? to charge an EV, plus we had to sit here for 41 minutes. It's a scam. The whole thing is a scam. I am on. <laughs> I hate TikTok. I hate everything about TikTok. People, if you're watching TikTok, shame on you. But it it is, it's the reaction guy. I could do with the guy's video because that was a value. The guy underneath it that's pointing to it and yelling words like facts without adding any value, like pass, hard pass, not understood. But it is one of the ways that we find some of this information out. And it's like, I don't want to go buy an electric Hummer. Uh, if you guys want to go do it, please uh, share your comments below. You can DM me as well. We'll bring you on the show and you can talk about how much you love driving around in an electric vehicle that costs you 20 bucks to charge up and get another 60 miles of range. It's it's fully silly, but it's part of the virtue. And if you can afford it, I guess, so be it. The best is when you're talking about putting a generator in the back, because a generator, a, a gas or a diesel generator that you're carrying a small one, probably the least efficient way to generate electricity. It's one of those things you use. There's a reason why we're not all powering our houses that way. And there's not, you know, gas lines running to us. The reason is, is because it inefficiently generates it, but it's better than nothing. So you're going to go out there, have the most amount of emissions generated, the least efficient way of using refined petrol chemicals to create electricity, to run your gas or your, your electric powered vehicle that you already spent a bunch of money on, had the same or better or more expensive transportation costs, has all these like, you know, housing requirements can, can blow up if it gets too cold or if it gets water on it, or if you get flooded, it's just, it's really amazing that they're trying to pitch this and that you're somehow a bad person if you've chosen not to do that. I want like a 70s powered muscle car and there's there's the one that's sitting on the side of the road. So if you're not watching the Rumble channel, you're missing. There's a dude with his generator sitting in the back charging up his like Ford Lightning EV. He literally has, he's got his generator plugged in to the, uh, the power cord right there and the generator is sitting in the bed of the pickup truck. There's just nothing sillier. It's the least efficient way of doing it. But so be it. That's the way it goes. Um, I'm breaking things up a little bit differently. So we want to say thanks right now. We're going to kind of break over to one of our sponsors, say thanks to uh, Catholic Vote. These are my friends over at Catholic Vote. I see a lot of new faces in the chat. So if you are new to the chat and you have not seen um, or signed up for The Loop, this is an opportunity. You can go over to catholicvote.org. They sponsor our channel. They allow this thing to, to continue and give us the uh, the funds to be able to keep offering you a higher and higher level content product. So sign up for The Loop. It costs you nothing. It's totally free. This is just a information a uh, information distribution platform. And The Loop has things like, today it says Trump's not gonna attend the debates. I think that's worth reading about. Uh, torrential rains hitting the Southwest from Tropical Storm Hillary, formerly known as Hurricane Hillary, which may or may not have gotten rid of 30,000 emails in California, nobody knows. There's a judge blocking a uh, child protection law, which is to say that a federal judge has temporarily blocked a new state law banning medical providers from doing uh, trans surgeries on kids. I think that's worth reading about as well. California professors saying that the new, this is when it comes, they always end up getting their own. Six California professors are suing the state over their requirements for diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. I didn't know they've added a letter, but of course these acronyms always grow. So a little bit about that, the fact that they think that they are unconstitutional under the first and the 14th amendment. A couple other things, conservative groups suing the Biden administration. Uh, this is something we're going to talk about in just a moment. So this is a good little pivot. This is that uh, that that system where we know that the, the DOJ is really interested in what Americans are about. But a really great email. Check them out. Like I said, catholicvote.org. If you punch them in, just put in your email address and your zip code, and they will give you some timely information early in the morning getting you started off. I know a lot of you have found value in it, and I've heard from you saying as much. So 
thanks to Catholic Vote. All right, so actually, let's pull something up. We are living in the bizarro world, and there's two little sort of related topics. If you bring up topic number six for me, Ryan, this is going to pivot away from the sustainability, the nonsense. We, and this was most of the show, obviously, because it's the weirdest thing going on. But um, here's a here's a little piece of the two-tiered piece of justice. So there's a Plainsfield woman who's charged with threatening to shoot former President Trump and son Barron. Now, you're going to be shocked to hear this because this is the same exact threat that went down with the guy in Utah. And what was the response to this particular woman? I'll wait. She's not dead. She was arrested. She was interviewed by the Secret Service. Interviewed. Not arrested in a pre-dawn raid, but interviewed. Knock on the door. Hey, are you this lady? Hey, are these your mean tweets? Are you the one that said you want to slam a bolt in the back of the head of a young boy who's at a private school? Are you the one who emailed this headmistress and said that you wanted to go after uh, this kid and his dad, who's the former president? Secret Service went and did the interview like they do. And she's alive and well, and she'll face her charges the way it's supposed to be done. You guys can already tell that this is not the same tier of justice. And so why would that be? Why would we have a Justice Department that's going out and doing something differently? Because the Justice Department is not interested in handling this. By the way, Secret Service answers to DHS, totally different department, not answerable to Merrick Garland. So what are the people that are answering to Merrick Garland doing? Uh, pull up topic number seven. I'm sorry, not topic number seven. Topic number, what is it? Uh, eight. I think it's topic number eight. There it is. Virginia school district upholds the parental rights on trans issues. So why in the world would the Biden DOJ get involved? This is coming from Tyler O'Neill at the Daily Signal. Highly recommend you reading Daily Signal. They've got some really good stuff. What they've got here is a story about how the Justice Department has decided to intervene in a Virginia school district adoption of Glenn Youngkin's policies. He's the governor of Virginia, you'll remember. These schools are funded by the state. They don't need the federal government coming in and telling them what to do. But in your classic federal government overreach, in the, the pretty typical movement, what we see is the Justice Department seems to suggest that protecting the constitutional rights of parents and students will lead to hate crimes. This is what uh, America's first legal advisor, Ian Pryor, says when he was interviewed. He says, once again, we're witnessing the top law enforcement agency in America uh, come unglued from reality and unmoored from its core function, all in the name of opposing anyone that doesn't approve its state-approved messaging. This is 100% correct. This is what is going on. What you have is the Justice Department acting. When we talk about weaponization, it's not just using them to come after political opponents. It's also lawfare. It's coming after people that don't agree. They don't agree with your uh, non-trans agenda, that you're not sensitive enough to accommodate 0.01% of the population in schools, although it continues to grow because of the mental illness that we are pushing by teachers. And in the meantime, um, the while you're trying to figure out what you're going to do without them, the Justice Department is going to come in and fight you. They're going to come in and file federal lawsuits with infinite money. So now we are pitting a state with a lot of money against the federal resources, which is basically infinite because they can keep printing the money. This is this is a lose lose for the people who are interested in seeing a Justice Department go after, you know, I don't know, bad guys, kind of crazy people. If we pull up topic number nine, maybe the Justice Department could be involved in handling the migrant crisis we have and the fact that we have migrants up in SUNY Buffalo. It's the State University of New York system. So it's a statewide. We talked about how they were flooding over the streets. There were 90,000 plus living on the streets in New York City. They got to go somewhere. And so one of the opportunities that popped up was for them to go and be housed in dormitories at SUNY Buffalo. Well, that seems fine, except that parents are a little bit worried about having unvetted, completely uncleared, military-age male migrants with a history of living in countries that were violent, being trafficked across multiple borders, who already have a history of breaking our U.S. laws, going and living in the dormitories with, like, you know, their baby girl who's 19 years old and going to college. That seems perfectly reasonable. And why wouldn't they? Because... If you see what happens, we're going to scroll a little bit further down the story. I'm going to read you the part that is the most interesting. So give me one minute here. We'll pull it up. i got to get my mouse. Where's my mouse? There it is. If we read the reason why these parents were outraged is because just down the road, just down the road, had a highly alerting interaction. It didn't stop this guy whose name is Dr. Myron Glick. He is the founder of Jericho Roads, which is a health uh, a health community center and a migrant shelter. He said, we're living in a community where there is prejudice and the decision to boot all the migrants out was made really, in my opinion, based on prejudice. The decision came because parents were worried after there were two sexual assaults 15 minutes down the road from Buffalo in a town that's called Chicawaga. There's some really fun names in New York, by the way. 
Um, Chigawaga, there was a, there were two different migrants accused of sexually assaulting people. One was a mother who was raped in front of her three-year-old girl, a migrant from Venezuela. And another uh, was a, uh, a guy that had been involved in a sexual assault from the Democratic Republic of Congo. So you have a Congolese individual and a Venezuelan individual, both men, obviously, biological men, that are charged with rape and sexual abuse, unlawful imprisonment. One of a, a mother in front of a three-year-old girl, the other one in front of a 27-year-old woman who was working at a community agency to provide services to, yeah, that's right, migrants. So it showed there how grateful they were, these two migrants who have been, uh, you know, they're illegal aliens that have come into this country and been released under the Biden administration. They are going and raping poor women that are trying to help them out. And for that reason, parents, rightly so, at SUNY New York, or SUNY Buffalo rather, are asking for these migrants not to live in the dormitories with their children. Seems like a pretty reasonable piece. The fact that that is even controversial a little bit and then someone wants to call that bigoted, this is all about a virtue signal. It has nothing to do with what is reality. And it's the same way that we see this sort of WEF kind of piece. It is bigoted for you to have a high production, to live at a higher standard than people in the third world. Even though I assure you, the people in the third world would love to trade places with you. They are not trying to reduce their carbon footprint. They are trying to increase it so they can live at a first world level. That is the goal. That is the goal when you live in less things. Think about anything along those lines and you'll know. But this is a long history. We actually pulled a little video clip. I've been trying to uh, share with you guys some of my fun watching the Little House series with my kids. And there is a, uh, a long history of the government not really being interested in what's best for you. We're going to play this little clip here. Um, I'll talk over it in a second. It's a lot of quietness. If you're not watching the Rumble channel, go watch this little piece. It's I, I chopped out a lot of the silence of it. But if you'll queue up video clip number six, I think this will give you guys a good taste. This is not a new idea. And what you're seeing are soldiers riding up on horses. These are Union soldiers or American um, you know, military forces. They're talking to Pa, handing him some written stuff. I'm going to talk over as much as I have to. All right. And I chopped out a lot of silence and sort of head ringing, you know, head down. There's Ma. She looks concerned. We have to get out. What? Yeah, the Kansas tribe petitioned Washington. We have to get out. I don't understand. The government drew a new line and we're on the wrong side, so we have to go. Those blasted politicians in Washington had just said all of Kansas wasn't open up. We never would have settled here. And I'm leaving this on so you can see they pan over. Uh, obviously, this is an idealized version of what's going on. But look at that log cabin. Look at the, uh, the, the amount of time it would take to build that thing with your bare hands. And then you see... Don't have any choice, right? So heavy as it is. They have to leave the plow behind, right? Pick up and go. All right, that's good enough, Ryan. So, you know... Just the concept that uh, political lines were drawn and they were telling you whether you were good or bad or whether you were on the right side of it or the wrong side of it. This is not a new concept. This is not a new idea. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because we're about to deal with yet another line that's going to be drawn. It's going to be drawn in a, in a virtual way. It's not going to be drawn in the same way that they did and said, you know, now that Kansas is no longer open. This is a, this is a line about COVID-19. And if you'll bring up that Breitbart article, which is uh, topic number 10, Ryan, we're going to talk about this real quickly. The Biden administration is now urging all Americans to go get a coronavirus booster shot. I know many of you will not be willing to comply with that. There's Joe Biden there. Is that even Joe Biden? Is that even the same Joe Biden? Everyone keeps sending me these videos. Joe Biden doesn't look like Joe Biden from the old days. The ears, the face, uh, the way that he talks. Pretty weird. Some of the same speech patterns, but maybe that's not Joe Biden. I don't know. Uh, the administration is urging Americans to go get this. This is, uh, again, reporting by Breitbart. It says all Americans will be urged by the Biden administration to get a coronavirus booster this autumn ahead of what it claims will be a new wave of infections. How do it know, as my father-in-law used to say? How do it know? Moderna and the other coronavirus vaccines like Novax and um, Pfizer, their German partner, Biotech SE, have all reportedly created new versions of their shot, and they are aimed at the XBB.1. 1.5 sub variant. Are you guys scared of XBB 1.5 yet? Why not? 
There's Dr. Fauci saying that we are going to have to all get booster shots every year. That goes back to a tweet from April of 2021. This is an interesting article in so much as it just tells us it is coming down the pipe. And of course, at the same time, they are pushing RSV, which is respiratory syncytial virus. They're shooting these shots for little kids and uh, infants. They're saying you can go get them and they will protect you from that absolutely minuscule percentage of children that are affected by it. I'm sure it's very real for those who are. But there have always been some risks to being alive in this world. And one of them is that there are diseases and there are good medicines. And then there are things that are being rushed and put on us. And I cannot imagine that they have had 10 years to trust this new booster shot. If you guys want to go get a booster, knock yourselves out. Let me know how it goes. Keep us updated. We're all very interested. I know many of you are not interested in complying and they are going to try to restrict you. So again, like I said before, set your face like Flint, set your feet firmly in the earth and be prepared to hold that line. You get a second shot at this. Not very many people do. Many of you held it the first time. For those of you who did not and feel like, hey, I think I gave up some ground, you can claw your way back up and you can hold it right now. That is your only option if you want to stay free. It's a uh, it's a dangerous world of that. So before we uh, before we shut it down, we want to say thanks to our last sponsor. We do want to really appreciate you guys. But before we do, let's say thanks to uh, Patriot Coolers. I think we got a fun uh, promo to run. Ryan, you got some fun video of you running around in the desert. Let's get it. Here in Lagula, Texas. Out here tracking illegal aliens that are crossing the border. Behind us is the Rio Grande over there. It's 105 degrees out, sweating my ass off. Couldn't be hotter, honestly. Backpack gear, you name it. The only way I'm staying hydrated is thanks to Kyle Serafin and Patriot Coolers. These 32-ounce American Pride Patriot Tumbler has kept my drinks ice cold this entire trip. You won't find a better guy or a better company that supports American Patriot, that supports our values, that's willing to go above and beyond to make sure that the brave men and women, the whistleblowers that are coming forward, have a source of income. They donate to veterans. They do it all. They sponsor the Kyle Seraphim podcast. And that's a company that I want to be around. That's a company I want to support. Visit PatriotCoolers.com forward slash Kyle Seraphim and get 10% off the latest Patriot Coolers, Tumblers, Coolers, probably got some sweet merch, coffee mugs, coffee cups, you name it. Grab yourself some, grab your friends and family some, support the show. Again, my name is Ryan Meta. Catch you guys in the next one. <laughs> I, I had the edited one. I forgot to play the edited That's one. That's <laughs> all right, man. I want you to I want you to do all my voiceovers. Uh, your your enthusiasm is very high. Here's my Patriot Tumble right here. It's sitting with me. Folks, you can go to Patriot coolers.com use promo code kyle k-y-l-e you can click the link that's in the show notes that's below us it'll automatically populate that but uh check them out and here is a uh here's a little look at their their hard-sided rotomolded coolers outstanding products like i said there's a lot of benefits to being able to keep your ice uh one of the things is you don't need a generator per se it'll just keep ice cold that's just what it's designed to do it's a thermal insulator with a high r factor so check those out they say patriot right on them uh, I like that bottle of whiskey on there too. It made me, I think watching this image a couple of times inspired me to go out and buy a bottle of whiskey, which I now have sitting on my countertop. So, um, you know, don't let it lead you to more drinking. I think my wife just sent me a whole thing about how alcohol is, is poison and we shouldn't be doing it, which she's probably right. Uh, that being said, I think that's enough for today. Folks, you've been listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, which is streamed live at 9.30 Eastern time or 8.30 here in Central Texas in uh, Texas America time. We stream it from Liberty Hill. We want to thank all of you for listening. I've seen a whole bunch of new faces out there. I cannot call them all out. We saw a new uh, monthly subscriber jumped in to the channel to support us. We do really appreciate that. If you're on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin and you want to hit the subscribe button, you can do that. I think it's about a $5 subscription a month. It's just a voluntary thing. You jump in and shows you that you're supporting the channel. Uh, I believe we get at least 90% of that. So we're very grateful for you guys jumping in and supporting it. It, uh, it keeps our cost down, helps us uh, do more interesting stuff. We've been talking about uh, some additional content that we're going to try to provide as well. In fact, we might even be live streaming some of these things on the channel with uh, what's going on with the, the Trump arraignment. And we've got a, a traveling correspondent who wants to go and stream to us. So we'll keep it. We'll keep that going. Um, we want to read one of our five-star reviews. You guys are leaving those on Apple. We are well over 660 right now. I think we're like 665. Keep leaving them. Really appreciate it. I will get to reading them as we go. Uh, today's is from Logan Plant Life. Logan, are you one of the uh, WF types? Are you out there? It says educational. Kyle's episode on bumper sticker politics is excellent. I learned a lot from every podcast, but this one was full of great information. How sad that I have a master's degree in education, but the Federalist Papers were never part of my required reading at any level of my education. I am searching those out. Thank you for informing all of us. Prayers to you, your family, and the birth of your newest edition 
prayer emoji. We love it. Uh, Logan, thank you so much for the prayers. We do appreciate that. I know my wife appreciates it too. We are still over the drop zone right now. We are T minus zero seconds to drop. So any moment you will be seeing some uh, some canned content from us on the Kyle Serafin show. We are ready for the baby. Whenever, whenever Madeline wants to show up, then she can do that. And we are looking forward to it. Uh, folks, follow Ryan Matta at Ryan Matta Media. That's M-A-T-T-A. There he is. He's been producing the show. We're really grateful for all of his great work. He does an outstanding job, as you all recognize, and has stepped up the level of this podcast well beyond its weight, uh, well beyond the size of this channel, I think. It is a, a highly professional operation, mostly because of what Ryan's been bringing to the table. So we do appreciate it. Don't forget to like this video on the way out. If you hit the thumbs up down there on the Rumble channel, it will turn green. That lets you know, and you can leave us a comment, anything you like, and let us know. Dumbasks, mask holes, what do you like? Go to the Twitter channel, at Kyle Serafin. There is, there is the result so far, as you can see, by a long margin right now, mask holes is winning. Maybe it's because I placed it up at the top. Anyway, folks, we look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. Subscribe anywhere you like. Oh, there we had one more thing, didn't we? Topic number 11. I forgot to show this. I wanted to let you guys know, the audio downloads are still off the chain. We just casually passed three quarters of a million downloads on the audio channel. So if you're not uh, feeling love. But you're not we're going to give Chuck. Oh, he's back. <laughs> yeah. If you guys are not feeling the love on the audio channel, we have uh, just casually passed 750,000 downloads lifetime for our audio channel, most of which were this year, minus about 6,000 of them. So we are well over 750,000. So we really appreciate all of you who are listening on Apple, on Spotify, on iTunes, on iHeartRadio, and so on. If you want to take the Kyle Serafin show with you, you can do it there. And we do have some love for you. So we're just letting you know, I'm still tracking all those things. Uh, we're getting more and more downloads there. Feel free to share that with your friends. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. We will see you again tomorrow. Have a great uh, Tuesday. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin show streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.